Wherever you are in the world, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Badminton Podcast, a community for badminton players by badminton players proudly brought to you by Valan. We talk all things badminton and aim to inspire you to be better in your game and in life by celebrating the people and stories of our global badminton community, whether they be past or present professional players, social players, officials or fans. We're your hosts, Jeff and Henry, and we love badminton. From the bottom of our hearts, we'd just like to say thank you to everyone who has listened to, shared and been part of the podcast. It wouldn't be possible without you all. If you do enjoy our episodes and can spare just a couple of dollars each month, you can really help keep the podcast going by supporting us on Patreon. Just visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. We'll leave the link in the description. The Badminton Podcast is brought to you by Volant. Henry and I founded Volant out of our own frustration with the confusing, bright and unsightly clothes we saw in badminton all over the world. But now it's so much bigger than that. Our mission is to simplify the badminton journey and show the world how incredible badminton is. So make sure you check out our badminton basics at volantwear.com and follow us on our socials at volantwear. So for this episode of the podcast, we'd like to introduce you to Samuel Ricketts. Now, Sam or Samuel, he is a full-time badminton player who has represented Jamaica regionally and internationally at both the junior and senior levels. Initially, he started out as a men's doubles player, but he's transitioned now towards men's singles and is the highest ranked Jamaican player at 166 in the world and his doubles ranking is 122 in the world. He has a Bachelor's of Physics with Sports Science from Lubara University in the United Kingdom. I think I said that right. If I didn't, he'll correct me. And he also has some musical talents playing two different musical instruments. On a more personal level though, he's always been very interested in finding out ways to better himself as a human, spiritually, physically, and mentally. What matters is the heart that you have and the extent to which you're willing to go to get what you want or what you need. It's just to show others that you can do this, not to really think of yourself as little, but to push your way forward. Respect everyone, but respect yourself and honor yourself. Who am I becoming? Am I handling pressures better? Am I managing myself better? Am I becoming a better person? Am I learning to navigate situations in a better way? And so it's not just all about the win. It's not all about, yeah, one and that's it. And that's what I love about sports and badminton as well. It's like most people when they train, there's a certain level that they rise up to. You know, they can say that this person, they've gone through something and they're better for it. So Sam or Samuel, thank you for coming on to this episode of the podcast. Hey guys, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. So do you like being called Sam or Samuel? Sam is fine. My whole life I've been called Samuel, but for some reason when I moved to the UK, people just like, hey, let's just call him Sam. So, <laughs> just easier. You know. Maybe they're lazy like yeah. the Australians. We just don't want to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> and so your degree, so Bachelor's of Physics with Sports Science, which university was that? Yeah, so it's actually Loughborough University. But it's a bit of a tongue twister, like most people kind of, it's a weird one to pronounce. Okay. But yeah. Loughborough. <laughs> yeah. Or, or Loughborough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. So this is, you're our first Jamaican to be on the podcast. So that's really exciting for us. So we would love to just find out initially how you got involved in the sport of badminton while being in Jamaica, where I'm sure there's other national sports that are much, much more popular. Yeah, well, so initially I started doing um, athletics, as most people in Jamaica do. I think that's pretty known. And I was doing athletics and it was very interesting and challenging, but I was always kind of injury prone. Like I didn't have the power to sustain the body force, you know. And so friends of my parents, you know, they were like, hey, you should let him try badminton. And so one day I was like, okay, let's do this. And I went 
And I was just blown away. Like, I just loved it instantaneously. It's so fun. It's interesting. It's complex. It's like a physical game of chess, you know? And I appreciated that there were barriers. Because, like, in soccer or football, depending on where you're from, like, anybody can just hammer into you and kind of mess up your career. But, like, I like the, the fact that if you get hit or if you get hurt, it's on you, you know? So I just started from that time, and it was just a great time. Yeah, it's a really, really cool and unique start, Sam. And was it your family friends that introduced you to the sport or, or suggested you play the sport? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just help me understand, like, how did they know the sport well? Like, to think that you should be, like, to be suggesting that you should play badminton. Now, I don't want to be one of those people who stereotype and say, yes, you're from Jamaica, you know, you should just be into athletics and all that sort of stuff. But how did they know about badminton? Well, no, no, you're absolutely right. Badminton isn't the biggest sport in Jamaica right now. And so uh, most people like in Jamaica, they're always athletic. So they're always like in their natural build. So people would be playing basketball, football, table tennis, everything, you know. And so I'm not sure exactly how they knew, but there was a quite a common known coach called Mr. Ranger, Howard Ranger, who had like um, an academy, Rangers Academy. And so their son played, actually. So he was playing and they were like, hey, you know, your son will like this to my parents. And yeah, so Mr. Ranger, I trained with him from when I was age seven. And, you know, he just taught me so many things as to how to have fun, but also how to train with a purpose, you know. And so I loved the game. You know, it wasn't just a, an intense thing for me. It was like, hey, I feel actual joy when I play this sport and, you know, just training with others. So, yeah. That's awesome. So shout out to your coach who nurtured you from a very young age. Is he still coaching there? Yes. Yes, he is. So I actually went back to Jamaica um, during the whole COVID period. Well, it's still going on, but the initial bit. And yeah, he was still coaching, coaching young kids and, you know, getting them into the game. So it was good to see him. That's fantastic. So you started coaching and the training with him at, you said, seven to eight years old. Now, from there, what's the pathway like for a Jamaican badminton player, even as a junior, to climb up the ranks? Like, are there many club competitions, state competition? Is there much like that to keep you improving and keep you competing? Ah, good question. So not really. We don't really have much of a structure in terms of, like, garnering and harnessing people as much and even if we do you know there's not really much structure to kind of keep them in the game and to keep them going all the way up so you have a good amount of junior players playing but sometimes after they you know they finish it's just like hey that's it they don't really see a future and so when we were um younger we just had kind of tournaments somewhat throughout the month like maybe every two months or so we'd have a tournament and so that kept us motivated, but there weren't any like club games like in Europe or there weren't any leagues or any sort of in between to kind of keep you motivated. So it was kind of hard of us because it was hard on us because we only went to one tournament per year, like one international tournament per year. And so it was just like, hey, and that would be the Panam Games or the Panam Individual Championships. Yep. And so we would go to that like in July and we see all these great players. And we just have to have that in our mind for a whole year of training with purpose. And that's it, you know? And so it was kind of hard, but somehow some of us did it. Yeah, that's great. And I guess when you compare it to athletics in Jamaica, because I guess Jamaicans are very well known for being exceptional on the athletics track and things like that. Where do you think from your experience, and you might not have the answer to this because it's the million dollar badminton question. Where do you think the athletics program really excels that gets these world-class best in the world world record holder athletes in athletics how do they create those so other than so just the body type and the athleticism of of jamaicans and um, we all know that you are very athletic in your build as well which obviously does help but the nurturing of the talent and then the progression into those kind of competitions is what's missing in badminton that athletics has I think the realm of athletics has is that they have like really good tier system. So from your little kid, that's the thing you want to run. And there are people who are able to scout and see, hey, that kid has potential. Or even if he doesn't have potential, we'll train them and work hard and 
kind of nourish them and develop them. But the thing is, sometimes once you reach a certain level, coaches and systems have to be in place where you can release these athletes to someone who can take them to the next level. And so sometimes I think in badminton, there are some times where coaches aren't able to realize that, hey, see, where can I send them off so that they can develop to the next tier? And in athletics, there's a tier system all the way up. Um, you know, you have, I don't know if you guys know about champs. So champs is like the biggest race thing, pretty much in the Caribbean, but it's just Jamaicans. And so they have like junior champs and then like, obviously for high school. And so that's the thing that kind of bring people all the way up and like people from all over, scouts from all over the world come to watch. And so there's like a fanfare, there's like an electricity around it. And so I think that's one of the things as well. Athletes want to know that there's some sort of vibe, there's some sort of like electricity in what they're building up to. And then once they finish high school, they can then move into the next system of, okay, how can I take my career to the professional level? And so I think in badminton, there's a lot of gaps where there's not any oversight between when someone is 11 and 15 and then 21. And so, yeah. Yeah, it certainly sounds like there's a lot more structure in the athletics or the track and field kind of space that we're lacking. And that's not just in Jamaica, I guess it's all around the world that we do lack those different tiers in, especially in sort of Western countries. So it'd be good to create a bit more structure around that. And as you said, sort of electrify the space with uh, events like those, those championships that you're talking about as well. Now, Sam, you talked about, you know, you're starting your training journey at about seven or eight years old. So was it around that age that you were exposed for the first time to the sport as well? And you said that, you know, you fell in love with the sport immediately. Was there a moment when you knew that the sport was for you? Was it immediately or was it in that first session where you're like, yes, I love this sport. This is my sport. Yes. So that was the first time I was hearing about badminton. I hadn't heard of it before. But as you say, the first time I touched the racket and, you know, hit that shuttle, I mean, it was instantaneous. Like, there was no doubt. There was no sort of uncertainty. I was like, this is what I'm going to play, you know? Because I think when people do a sport, yes, there's an element of driving things forward and intentionality. But at the same time, there has to be a certain passion, a certain joy that kind of comes out of it, you know? And so, I mean, yeah, it was just, there was no doubt. Okay, so you're a young Jamaican badminton player and you started out men's doubles, right? So when did you decide that you wanted to do men's doubles and what was the reason why you wanted men's doubles? And then take us through the steps from there and then how come men's singles now? So actually, I played all three events growing up, but doubles was kind of my main one. And you know, you just play all three events when you're young. You have like loads of energy. So much energy. You can play all day. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. I don't know where the energy has gone now, but it was mostly singles and doubles. And so I think I really like doubles because I love to partner with people. And I love that sort of unspoken energy that's between two people, that kind of just unspoken thing that, hey, I'm going to fight for you. You're going to fight for me. And that accountability that comes from it, you know? And so if you win a gold medal by yourself, that's fine, you know? But if you win it with someone, there's so much more joy and unity and partnership in that and so that's why i always love double as i grew up you know sometimes situations would kind of happen where your partner wasn't able to come or you know sometimes in terms of money or just different things and so in singles you know you can kind of drive things forward yourself and so i think it was around maybe 16 or so that's when i started to really kind of just verge off a little bit but I would still play doubles. And so, yeah, it's just towards this latter part now when I came to England, when I started to really push forward the singles and kind of get into that mentality of going out there to win and to war on your own. So That's really cool. So you made that transition while you're in Jamaica, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And then at what age did you go to the UK? And what was the main reason why you decided to go to England? Was it for study or badminton or both? So after I finished high school, I did my exams and I wanted to take a gap year. And so I decided I would take this gap year to train. And so I went to Canada and trained for a year at the Leeds Badminton Academy or Leeds Club. Oh, okay. And so you probably, yeah, you know, Michelle Lee and Jennifer Lee and Rachel. And so I trained with them and learned so much from them. 
and realized how much I was missing. <laughs> Just in terms of like professionalism, turning up even when you're injured, different thing, braving the cold because it was freezing, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And then after that, I was like, hey, I want to go to a place where they will recognize badminton and I can get sort of a scholarship, but also still stay connected to like a community or church. And so, you know, my mom did some research and we found a place called Loughborough. And Loughborough is like 45 minutes away from Coventry where we knew this really good church that I would kind of have community and life. And so Loughborough, you probably don't know, is a sports university, the number one in England. And so we're like, hey, let's do this. It was amazing. I think it was one of the things that really, really made me into the person I am. You know, how to manage student your sports life and just kind of really navigate that thing. And the environment was set up. It was very conducive to be able to train at 7 a.m. and then cycle to class at 9 yeah. and then 12 and then come back for a second session, you know? And that was the first time I had ever trained twice in a day. Like, it's crazy. We normally just train once every day. Yeah. So. That's cool. So what age do you finish high school? So I finished high school around age, I think maybe... 18? 18. Yeah, 18. So 18, and you took the year off. You trained at Lee's Badminton Academy in Canada, so you were 19. So when you moved to the UK, were you 20 at that stage? Yeah. Yeah. And then, Sam, how old are you now? Take us through from when you moved to the UK. You were training at university there, top sports university in England. I was training in Brunel University. Do you know Brunel? I think I've heard of the name, I think, so, yeah. yeah. That's where Raj Usuf was. So I was there for a little while as well. So it's really cool that they have a system where you can study and then play elite sport. How long was your degree and where are you now? So what's happening now? Currently, I'm 24 years old and my degree was three years. And so I did, as you mentioned before, physics with sports science and just kind of coming through the years, just training and managing both school and traveling to different tournaments. So I finished university in July and graduated in December. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And so last October, that's when I decided to go full-time and train with a guy called Steve Butler. Maybe you know the name. I know the name, yeah. Yeah, so Steve Butler, exceptional guy. Like, he was just heaven sent. And so it was a next, like, step up. And so I started with him in October, and there were so many things he would just change in my thinking and change like some of the principles that I would like abide by, you know? And so I learned so much from him um, just in three months, like just how to be more professional, how to do things with intent, how to look at a goal and say, okay, this is what we're aiming for, but we're giving our best. But always, you know, still be in tune with your body and how you're feeling, but always coming with to give a hundred percent, you know? And so he was there. And then there was a girl named Jordan Hart, who I, I learned from as well she was training with him from a year before. But then, as you know, in March, COVID kind of happened. Yeah, so as COVID happened, things kind of changed a bit. So Steve, there was no training going on. And so he got a job offer to go to Poland to coach the national team. And so he took it. And rightfully so, you know, you know you're happy for him and you're excited. And so right now, there's a little bit of a void in terms of training. And so right now I haven't been actively training because there's no sort of training around apart from Loughborough, which is quite kind of far right now. It's like an hour, but right now I don't really have the sort of resources to kind of manage that right now. And so right now it's just kind of keeping fit, training, building life with community, getting to know some friends. You mentioned Tim Merrilees, you know, brothers like that. And just kind of do some of the normal things I haven't done before, like cooking and... <laughs> watching shows, but still keeping active. So, yeah. So, Sam, speaking of Tim Merrilees, I know before we, we talked about him earlier, but uh, we weren't recording the podcast at the time. So we just jumped to that because we did have some follower questions for you because we posted a Insta story on our podcast Instagram and got some questions from our followers. And Tim Merrilees sent a question. We might as well get you to answer that one now. So from Tim Sam, what is your favorite cafe in Cove? And I believe that's Cove for Coventry. Yeah, that would have to be Myrtle's, definitely. Myrtle's Coffee Shop. They have the best banana bread ever. 
<laughs> and I don't Jamaican, we love our banana bread. And so when you have a nice banana bread, nice and fluffy and warm, and you couple that with like a nice hot chocolate or coffee, if you like, it's the best thing. And then they have really good like sandwiches and just little mini kind of tidbits. So, I mean, I think that's the best one so far. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to keep going with some follower questions while we're at this point in time. So we've got a question from Brianna and her handle is Bree Bree Burke. So maybe Brianna Burke. She asks, what is your favorite discipline? Oh, as in like event? I think so. Yes. Okay. Doubles. Still doubles. Yeah. yeah. Men's or mixed? Definitely men's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I love singles a little bit more now understand and appreciate the discipline of what singles take because mm-hmm. it's like it's not just a thing you turn up and do it's a way of life it's a being you know you don't just go on the court and become a single player you have to know and be in tune with who you are and your identity and be safe and secure in that and believe in yourself you know mm-hmm. no one's out there to kind of say hey we can do this you know you have to tell yourself yeah and so it's not just a when you train you train with that kind of knowledge and purpose that yes this is what i'm doing and so you're not isolated, but you know that on the court, you're a warrior, you're a soldier, and you're going out to war. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a different vibe. It is going to war in the singles court. Absolutely. It's a very unique way of putting it, <laughs> <laughs> going on the battlefield. Now, <laughs> now, Brianna had a couple of other questions as well. So she asked, when did you start playing badminton? So we've already covered that in your story. So about seven or eight years old, right? Yeah, yep. at seven. Seven, seven years old. And where do you see yourself in five years? The big question. Whoa. Okay. So I can't say exactly in five years, but I can tell you what I see myself doing along the way. And so I see myself at the Birmingham Commonwealth Games. Awesome. I was actually in Australia in 2018. Oh, were you here? Oh, I didn't. I wasn't. Yeah, I was. Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, yeah. And then hopefully for the 2024 Olympics. But in five years, I guess I could see myself, one, as a more established badminton player, but one who kind of knows his identity. And it's like, you don't have to be the best, but you can know what you bring to your game and bring a certain consistency and a certain level of intentionality to what you bring. And, you know, just knowing people, interacting with people, being able to share your faith and what you believe in, but also just having that sense of, yes, this is a man and he has a certain character and a certain like poise about him, you know? And so that's what I kind of see in five years' time. Yeah, that's excellent, Sam. So if I would ask you the same question five years ago, who would have thought that we'd be in COVID now? So anything can happen. Who knows yeah. what's going to happen in five years' time? But In that five years, you'll be able to look back at this episode of the podcast and go, yep, Sam, I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. uh, Moving on to the uh, next follower question while we're at it, we've got one from Shaquita Deboulet. We had her on a podcast just over a week now, and she's asked, what's your biggest motivation and how do you balance being a top Pan Am player and school, obviously, when you were at school? I would say my biggest motivation, it's a couple of things. One, I believe that we're given gifts from God and we're not meant to just kind of sit on our laurels and just kind of just be okay with it, you know? There's a certain investment that needs to go into place to honor both the gifts we've been given or the skills we have, but also um, our creator, you know? So for me, that's what I believe that the best way to honor God and myself and my family and people I'm training with and my coach is to give my best and to give everything I have in each moment, you know, not just to turn up and be like, hey, I'm not really feeling it today. But there's a certain like energy and drivenness that come from just being able to honor the things you have. And so for me, it's like, hey, um, I have something. Yes, it might not be as good as someone else's, but what's the best way I can max this out? What's the best way I can honor this and influence people in that way? And another thing is just to drive for things, you know, drive for excellence. So sometimes coming from a third world country, you can kind of, some people might feel like, hey, you don't deserve to be here or we can't make it very far. But at the end of the day, those things don't really matter. Yes, in badminton, you need 
money to kind of get things done. But what matters is the heart that you have and the extent to which you're willing to go to get what you want or what you need. And so, I mean, it's just to show others that, you know, you can do this, not to really think of yourself as little, but to push your way forward, you know, respect everyone, but respect yourself and honor yourself. So, yeah. That is an amazing answer. I really like hearing that. And I love the fact that, I don't know, you seem like a very, do you know how you talked about being a singles player and you were saying you learn about yourself and you need to know who you are. Just with your response there, I really do feel like you know who you are and the reason you're doing things. And I love the fact that you're saying, look, I've got a gift and maybe it's not as good as someone else's gift, but it's still my gift and I'm going to do everything I can to make it the best thing possible for me. And I think that's awesome. And yeah, I just wanted to say that's a fantastic answer to Shaquita. And I think that she's going to get lots of wisdom from that. And I guess following on for our other question, how did you manage to balance the high performance part of it and then get your bachelor's with physics and exercise science or sports science? So it was very tough at first, but thankfully in the UK, the first year is not too bad. The first year is more like a warm up year, you know? I was just blessed with two wonderful parents, my mom and my dad, who were able to kind of just structure me in a certain way. And so from a young age, they trained me in the way of balancing both school, academics, and my, my faith life, you know? And so I wasn't really always one-sided. Yeah, at some point, sometimes things would, like badminton might be a little bit higher at the moment, but they're always sort of like fluxing and equalizing out. And I think that's the key thing, you know? They really showed me the gift of that. Sometimes things don't always have to be equal moving up. Like at one point, badminton might be higher or another point, you know, your schoolwork might be higher, but you have to know and discern what's required in each moment. So sometimes I think like people can get frustrated that, hey, you know, I'm not really getting to train as much now. But it's like, hey, you know, you're building your base, you're building your person as a totality, you know? And so from a young age, I was able to kind of manage that gift and skill. And coming into uni, we'll just take it to the next level, you know? How do I like schedule myself daily, you know? Different blocks of two hours, okay, training, class, you know, training, and then just kind of working it out. And so if I must say like, my mom and I really worked on this thing where if we were studying, we realized that things don't have to be done all in one go. You know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. So there's 24 hours in a day. If we were studying, we'd wake up like 7 a.m., study from 8 to 10, take an hour break or two hours break, then uh, study from 12 to 2, then 4 to 6, then 8 to 10. And that's literally eight hours in a day. And in between, you can watch shows or train if it was like exam period or run or different things, you know? And so just learning that you don't have to train for, for two hours. You can get so much in 45 minutes. You can get so much in half an hour. And that's one thing I learned as I came to England. It's like, and from my mom, that you can get so much in little tidbits of time, but you just have to be a little bit more organized and structured. I want to continue with these follow-up questions, but I kind of also want to segue to something a little bit different, Sam. So what I'm going to do is is move on because I like what you just said there in terms of, I guess, the types of how people manage time and how you can effectively manage your time to get the best output or maximize your results, whether that be placing an emphasis on one aspect of your life or another. So before we finish up with the follow-up questions, I want to actually move on to Something that I believe you and Jeff spoke about before the actual podcast itself. So input not always equaling output. What is your take on this? And uh, what factors do you think play a part in determining your output or result? (laughs) Wow, that's so good. So I think what I meant by that, and hopefully I can give you a more multifaceted answer, is that whatever you put in sometimes it's not just about straining hard or training hard and then getting better there's a lot of things that involve and are wrapped around like being an athlete how you manage psychological pressures whether that's money or flight details or engaging with people and being responsible managing things 
but then also your relationship with your coach and your friends. And so there's a lot of things that you kind of have to manage that go into the person of who you are, you know? And so it's not just, you're not training in a bubble, you know, you're not training in an isolated event. And I think that's one thing that is important to realize that whatever context we're in, whether that's COVID, that's the context through which we can push things forward. So you can't really separate COVID or separate these things. These are the things that are existing in your world and you kind of have to use that to kind of rise above it, you know? And so I think that was one key thing. But I also think like, as an athlete, I'm just really interested in like ways I can better myself and just think into how can I get better. But it's not always the fact of if I do this, then this happens, you know? It's not as concrete as saying two plus two equals four and that kind of mentality. You might be training harder, you might be eating better and things aren't getting better, you know? And so there's an element of managing the physical, but also managing the spiritual or the dual. And so I mentioned in my kind of introduction that sometimes it's not all about the outcome, it's about process. And I really heavily believe that. Who am I becoming? Am I handling pressures better? Am I managing myself better? Am I becoming a better person? Am I learning to navigate situations in a better way? And so it's not just all about the win. It's not all about, yeah, one and that's it. And that's what I love about sports and badminton as well. It's like most people, when they train, there's a certain level that they rise up to. You know, they can say that this person, they've gone through something and they're better for it, you know? Yeah. And I guess that brings forward like that kind of full picture and holistic view of badminton as a sport, not just in, like you said, winning, but in winning in life. So winning as a person, growing as a person, knowing who you are, knowing what certain things mean in your life. And yeah, you've definitely spoken and touched about the spiritual side of things, but I'd like to dig into that a little bit further. We'll get to the other follow-up questions at the end because I think we're on a roll here. But you talked about, say, grace, like that inner raw potential and how they kind of combine together. So what do you mean by the importance of that when you talk about that spirituality and how does that nurture you to grow, do you think, as an athlete and as a person? Yeah, good question. I think that grace, I believe in faith and I believe that there's a creator, but I believe that he has sent down a certain grace, a certain like, kind of invisible covering over all of us, you know? And it's just that we need to actively realize that there's things covering us and just waiting to be partnered with, you know? And so it's there, it's there to be tapped into. There's a an energy and a force to be kind of like dealt with, you know? And it just needs sort of like human partnership with that to kind of make things develop, make things grow, you know? And so it's not just saying, oh, I'm this, oh, I don't see a way but just seeing how can I partner with this thing to kind of develop what it is that God wants me to develop. And so I think we've all like touched on it as athletes, whether we kind of know it or not, you know, it's like sometimes you can just kind of feel that thing that, hey, I see what's going on and I don't see it, but I can like kind of feel that I'm training towards something and there's something that's partnering with my hard work, you know, and hard work is a really important thing. You know, it's like one of the most, key fundamental like basics of our society and i think that's one thing that god um really appreciates and like honors you know Mm, that's really good and just for someone who say isn't as say spiritual or doesn't have a particular religion or believe in maybe god or a creator how do you think that they could still really benefit from the insights that you have about this kind of subject because i guess from like that point of view, could you call it the intuition or the inner voice? Do you think that it's that as well that plays a part in it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, we're not just like merely physical beings, you know, there's a a kind of spirit within us and there's a certain intuition or one of leaning towards certain things. And, you know, we know it. And mm-hmm. so I think as athletes, it's like sometimes you have to believe that gut feeling of where you think it's leading you and what is right. And that takes us into many different paths as athletes. And so you just kind of have to tap into that. But it's also like a skill of developing and learning and kind of growing, you know? And so, yeah, it's like 
what is the grace that is over you, you know? And it's like, you might not call it that, but there is something, there is something that's partnering with you to kind of get you where you are. And so there's just a lot of things, you know, in badminton, when you talk about like hard work and pushing and driving towards things, it's like, those are important things that make up a person, you know, whether you're in the working world or whether you're in regular life, it's like, you have to have that commitment to the thing you're doing to turn up and to work hard, but also to think and to adjust, okay, what's working, what's not working. And so it's just so many principles that translate whichever way you kind of go. I guess it's like in a compass for like at an individual level or at a deeper core that sort of guides you towards whatever it is that you're, you know, you're striving towards. Right. And in terms of how you got to this point, Sam, at 24 years old, you almost sound like a wise man. Like I'd come to you for life advice or philosophical advice now, now you got me thinking. I'm like, what's the grace over me? What am I doing with my life now? <laughs> it's very zen. It's very comforting to hear you speak about, you know, that grace and, and inner potential and, and that just internal guidance system, whether that be the grace of God or whether that be, you know, some form of spirituality that we're all tied and connected to. So it's really great to hear you talk about that. But I guess for me and listening to that, it's just... Where did you learn all that? What kind of life experiences did you have to go through to get to that sort of understanding that you have now? Yeah. So, well, I grew up in the faith through my family and parents. So, you know, you learn all of the kind of usual things and go through life. But I think there comes a certain point where you have to kind of own things for yourself and kind of think about and reason, okay, what happened in my life? What are the things I can look back and see? Okay, that's where something outside of myself was just governing that. Something was just kind of guiding and creating that, you know? And so it was not until a little bit more into university when I left my family and left my sisters. I have three older sisters. And so I started to like be able to think for myself and really reason and think and just really tap into who am I, you know? But also what does that identity come from, you know? And for me, I believe that that come from above and that come from the word of God. Even then, you know, at that age when I was traveling back and forth from UK to like tournaments in Panama, just be reading a lot of books and reading a lot of things on the plane and just kind of deepening my knowledge and deepening my thinking and just kind of tying in things and just seeing, okay, what are we as humans? And understanding how we are and how we are as people and some of the things we go through, you know? And sometimes I look back at my life and it's like, yeah, I remember pushing and doing things, but how did I actually get here? There's like a trajectory that I could never really map out. And, you know, when you think about people who big, like big successful companies and ideas and things like that, yeah, they have a drive forward and they have sort of an idea where they want to go. But at some point there's like some sort of thing that gets them there, partnered with their hard work and their creativity and intuition. But it's like, you know, when people say, hey, I don't know how I got here. Like, I just, I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that governs our life, whether we identify it as that or not. And so sometimes when I look back and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm the highest ranked in Jamaica and not to be proudful or anything. I think I'm far from that. But just like looking at certain things, it's like, hey, you know, something brought me here. Yes, I had to push and yes, I had to work hard, but it wasn't all me. And it's just an honor to be alive, to be living, and to have that ability to just kind of see things in a certain way. So, Yeah, that's, re- that's really, really cool. And I guess with another podcast that I listen to, I think it's a Tim Ferriss show or the NPR podcast, How I Built This. But there's one question that they always tend to ask, and they always say, which part of your career or your success do you attribute to skill and which part do you attribute to luck? And I guess the luck is, the other word for luck is the grace or that other thing that's helping. And then that's like giving you that opportunity to get somewhere that you didn't think you were going to be. So yeah, it always works together, doesn't it? It's not, it is about hard work, but I guess the hard work that you do creates that luck or creates that, the realization of the grace or the fulfillment of the grace itself. Yeah. 
it's like the grace is here and it's like a force and flowing and fluxing. But I don't know if you guys did like physics or anything, you know, when you look at like magnetic fields and magnetic flux, imagine this is an area and you have a magnetic field coming through. The amount of like lines or things that are matching up with this in the right way. So if it's angled, then there's no force. But if it's normal to it, perpendicular, then that creates force, that creates impetus, that creates movement. And so there's like a force and we have to align our lives to whichever way that is guiding us. So it's not the same for me as it is for you, Jeff, or for you, Henry. It's different, but we have to kind of match up with it and partner with it. And so that's what you're kind of referring to. Yeah, that's awesome. There's a science explanation to it as well, isn't there? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Now, Sam, I want to keep going on with this subject because I think we're really getting into it and we're getting lots of awesome value from it. So when you look at, say, winning and losing, you talked about that before, right? So number one in Jamaica, 166 in the world. And we said before, you've got a gift. Maybe it's not as good as some Chinese player, Indonesian player in terms of talent or skill or something like that. But when you talk about the process and the winning and losing, which is a result, and then the nurturing of the gift that you're given, how do you respond to someone that says, look, you're number one in Jamaica, because this happened to me personally. This is for me. So in Australia, like badminton isn't a huge sport. So if you're number one in China, you're very close to being number one in the world, right? Because it's a top country. Just like if you're number one in athletics in Jamaica, you'll probably be close to number one in the world because that's what it is. But from Australia, right? It's kind of like, oh, number one in Australia, but I'm still a hundred in the world. I'm nowhere near the top. So then someone might ask you or ask me and say, look, you're spending all this time and this hard work and all of the money and everything on being the best you can be. But you ne- for me, you'll never be the best in the world because I'm not good enough or I'm not. And those kinds of things. So there's the, of course, the dreams that you want to be, but then there's also reality that there are thousands of other badminton athletes trying to do the same thing as you and be the best in the world, right? So where do you bring the process and this different mindset or this alignment of thinking where Maybe you won't be number one in the world, but you are still going to do the best you can and you'll still be very fulfilled in the process itself. And it's not only about being number one in the world as the result. Do you know what I mean here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's something I've thought about really deeply as well. And it's like, I guess it's something we have access to as athletes. A lot of people in life don't really realize And there's a term like in psychology called learned helplessness. I think that's sort of like an element of that where people see things and they see a limit, they see a cap and they see, okay, if I don't get to this point, then I can never be fulfilled. But there's a point above where you are, you know, like you're at a certain point. And so I think that's what you're touching on. It's like, okay, yes, you know, people in China, they train maybe eight hours a day and they have a program, they have that opportunity. And and that's all good for them, you know? But it's like, hey, I was born in Australia. I was born in Jamaica. And I was given a certain set of circumstances. And I can use that and rise above that and use that to the best of my ability of what I was given to do, what I was mandated to do, and what I have the liberty and honor and joy of doing. And so it's like, I've stepped into that where I've seen people become like number one or like in this country. And it's like, hey, If I had that opportunity, I could possibly do it, but I don't. I have the opportunity I do have. And so it's like not learning to see a way before you actually move or like see, okay, how can I get to number one and then decide to move? You'll be waiting all your life. And so it's like learning, okay, let me see what I can push forward right now to the best of my ability. And as you're saying, you know, number one in in Jamaica, number one in Australia, but it's like, there's still more to go. There's still ways that will kind of divert from this. Yes, I might not become number one. Who knows? I might be, you know? But obviously you have to be realistic and kind of look at what things are doing. But at the same time, you have to really push for things and really resist that inertia to be satisfied with where you are. And I think that's one thing as an athlete, we all kind of realize that there's a, inertia there's a resistive kind of force that would tell us to kind of stay where we are 
wake up kind of easy in the morning, but we have to kind of push past that and say, okay, yes, there's unknown potential in the world, but I just have to move, you know? And so, yeah. I really like how you tie science with spirituality, Sam. Every time you speak, you kind of use some sort of scientific word or method and tie it into spirituality, which I love about you. I feel like I'm talking to, who's that guy? Uh, is it Neil deGrasse Tyson? He's like the astrophysicist or he talks about like traveling among the stars. It just, it's great just listening to this because I'm learning a lot, Sam, and it's hard for me to contribute further to this conversation. It's more just, I want to know more. I want to ask more questions because Sam, I think I feel like you have a lot to offer to myself and the listeners as well, as far as spiritual growth. In terms of, I'm just going to sort of go on a tangent here and ask you a completely random question, Sam, when you were reading all these books during your process of learning and traveling, what's your top three favorite books? If we have someone in the audience that really wants to get into spirituality and understanding and developing a deeper understanding of themselves, what would your three go-to books be? Wow. Wow. There's so much. I'd probably have to look in my phone. Like literally there's a lot. One of the things was The Mindful Athlete. Maybe you know of that one, but that one was like, as an athlete or just a sport person or just in general, that one was just a top notch. So that one looked at just certain things that people aren't aware of. And so when I was reading, it's like, cause it's weird because like sometimes as a person, you know when something is happening, but you haven't identified it. So it's happening, but it's kind of been known to you. And so when you learn things, it's like, wait, this is what's happening. And so you can actively realize that. So like, you know, when we talk about being in the zone or being in a certain like state of just optimal heightened awareness, it's like you read about those kind of things and it's like, wait, I'm in it. Let's go. So that was a really good book. There's a few more, but I'll probably have to look at my iBook and just send it to you afterwards. There's so many. There's so many. Yeah. That's awesome. So what was that one called again? The Mindful Athlete. The Mindful Athlete. Okay, fantastic. That's an awesome one. And I guess I'll just take a step back to the previous question that I asked and then you, how you were talking about you might not be number one in the world, but there's only not one number one in the world. And every time you think you're the best, eventually you won't be the best anymore at it, right? Like you, you'll never be number one forever. And I guess from my side, if I kind of go on a tangent here, it kind of comes down to the seven human needs. And this is something that I learned from Tony Robbins. He's probably got it from somewhere else as well, but there's the need of certainty and then uncertainty. There's a need for significance and love and connection. And then there's the needs of growth and contribution. So everyone has those seven needs and everyone wants to fulfill all of them, but they fulfill them in different ways and the priority is different as well. So I think for a lot of athletes, for me as well, it's significant. So being significant and being recognized and then being certain, being certain about winning, right? You want to be certain about winning. You want to be confident. You want to have that kind of drive to you. So one of the things I learned from him is that if your top ones are certainty and significance, then you'll probably never be fully fulfilled in your life. And that's purely because significance is usually when you're the best or one of the best. But the fact is that even if you train really hard, you might be the best, but you'll never be the best forever. And then the second one is the certainty of just because you always want to win, right? But then it's the uncertainty, the variety of that. When you talked about that, you don't know what's going to happen, but that's the exciting part as well because it gives you that potential. It gives you that drive and excitement that anything is possible when it actually is. So a bit of a tangent from me, but have you heard of those before at all? I've heard of the phrases and those kind of terminologies and that aspect that we need as humans, but I haven't heard of the book actually. Yeah. Oh no, it's not a book. It's just something that he teaches. And then he talks about the greatest fulfillment being from the last two, which is the contribution part and then the growth. And I think that from your point of view, you do come from a very growth perspective. So that I can tell that that's a very high thing on your priority list. And that's a thing that everyone can be really good and successful at is growth because all you need to do is pick up a book, right? All you need to do is get up one morning that you didn't feel like getting up 
and go and train and you, and you basically you're going. So that's great. So Sam, let's get to these follower questions as well, because we want to make sure that we do give the followers the answers that they're looking for. So there's a question from Arby Moffat or Moffat. And the question is, what is one thing you regret in your sporting career? Ah, regret. That's a word I like to use. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's the wrong word for Sam. <laughs> but um, I, I get where she's coming from. I know Abby, so I get what she's trying to say. I guess from a younger age, not looking at things in a way where I could kind of drive things forward. And so now I realize that at all the age, like you are through the grace, an architect of your future, an architect of your space. And so when I was younger, I would sort of, especially training, I would just kind of train and we had that unity as a group. So there was a bunch of us who trained and guys, and we would always train and commit to each other. But there was a certain point when some of the guys wouldn't have come to training as much. And I fell into that with like, oh, you know, he's not coming. So a certain while I realized that, hey, I'm damaging me. I'm damaging my energy and my spirit by not engaging in what I'm setting out to do. And mm-hmm. so I think that was one thing I would say I wish I would have like kind of done better is like kind of driving things forward. And I would have been a bit better in my badminton game. But I mean, it happens, you know, you learn from it. You know, as athletes, we look back, but we're like, hey, it's gone. You know, let's move forward. Not much that I personally regret, but things that I say, hey, this pointed me in a direction. This kind of guided me, you know? It's like you have an iceberg, right? You have an iceberg or you have a ship and there's so many icebergs all around the place and the ship has to move. But if you think about it, at a certain point, it's like, yeah, you're controlling the ship, but the icebergs are like kind of nudging you in the direction you should be going in the path that you should be going. And so it's not a a fact of, oh, you know, the iceberg nearly collapsed my life. Yeah, you know, something bad might happen, but hey, no, it's nudging you in a better direction. It's nudging you in the direction you should be going. And so that's how I view it. We got to icebergs from regrets. So that's how this guy can just turn it around and make it a life lesson. (laughs) And Abi also asks, what achievement are you the most proud of? Um... So if I can say quickly, two of them. The first one would be my last year in Junior Pan Am. Coming up in Junior Pan Am, I would only, I won like a silver medal in doubles. And singles, I would always just kind of lose in either around the 16 or quarters, you know. And so I think that year, I really put my mind to the metal and really focused and honed in. And so I had school. I had um, high school. It was my major school year. But that year, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And so I knew what I had to do academically. And so I would wake up at like 4 a.m. to study math. Well, not study math. You don't study math. Practice math. And just, you know, really getting things into like my psyche. Study biology. And then go to school. Maybe take a nap during a class that's non-essential. <laughs> or, no offense. Or like maybe just whenever you had a free period. And then train, but I would train with my coach and there weren't really much people around. Like at that point, some of the guys weren't really around. And so it was just me and the coach every day, every day, just hammering it, hammering it, you know? And so when I reached the competition, I was like going through some niggling things and pain, but I knew the work I put in. I knew the hard work that I put in throughout the year and getting the good results I wanted for school. And it was like, nothing's going to stop me. And so. That year, we almost, which is a big thing for us in Jamaica, we almost got a medal for team events. And that would have been so much better for me, even more than the medals I got. Because, I mean, you know, I'm very team-oriented, you know. So we almost got a bronze. For the individuals, I got um, a gold in doubles with my partner, Sean Wilson, who's a real close brother of mine, and we trained together. And silver in singles. And so that was just a really big year, and it meant a lot. So. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing you talk about that and just from this podcast episode, getting a better idea of who you are as a person, Sam, I can imagine that that would have been a really fantastic result for you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And so Sam, we'd love to continue this conversation. 
because we're having a lot of fun here and we're learning a lot. I'm sure our listeners will be getting a lot of value out of this conversation, but we do have to wrap up soon. So what I will do is ask you this last question from a follower, which you have sort of touched on, but maybe you want to share a bit more information. So this one comes from Jojo G and she is asking, how are you coping with training throughout this pandemic? Ah, well, right now, you know, I'm not actively training, training, but when I went back to Jamaica, just at the beginning of this pandemic, I was alone, as in I was in an apartment with my sister. And so there wasn't anyone around. My coach, he was in England and Jordan was in England. Also, this guy named Sam Parsons, who I trained with, he was in England. And so I, I was like, okay, I know what will help me to be accountable to myself. And so I got this wearable called a whoop strap. I had a Garmin initially, but I had this thing called a whoop strap, which is this sort of wearable that looks at things holistically. It looks at your sleep, your strain, your recovery, and just kind of giving you a gaze of some of the insights, the secrets your body's trying to tell you. And so before getting too deep into it, it shows you strain is like how hard you've worked cardiovascularly throughout the day. And it's like a logarithmic scale. And so when I got it, I would train, run, cycle, and gym. And I would just get into that space as if I was in Coventry. You know, it's like, I don't know what it was. Like you guys probably imagined it. I imagined myself being in that gym, the same screen, the same cycle. And I just did it over and over. So every day I was accountable myself. And I had just a routine of going to bed by 9.20 and waking up at 5 a.m. And that's what got me through like five months of just training by myself. And I realized that that's when I was taking ownership of this thing, you know, because my coach wasn't around and it was hard. It wasn't easy. But I mean, I was able to run and to cycle and just kind of get into that zone and tap into that space. And so when I was on that machine, I wasn't seeing where I was physically in Jamaica. I was seeing visually. I was back in Coventry beside Steve, my coach, beside Jordan. And we were just training, you know. And so, yeah, just kind of tapping into those things that you never really lose. That's awesome. And yeah, just that mental rehearsal side, I think is so powerful for motivation and of course for training as well. So now that's a really good answer. So anyone out there still struggling with the pandemic and training, there's still lots you can do. Just put your mind in a good place, put your mind in a setting that is conducive of hard work that you're used to working hard in and yeah, play tricks with your mind and get to work basically. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And kind of what Jeff is saying there, one thing my coach told me that, really changed the game for me, you know, as Jeff just alluded to. Something is better than nothing. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So Sam, we've really enjoyed having a good chat to you today. We've been chatting for basically over an hour now and it's gone very, very quickly. It's been so easy to have a chat. But just before we finish up here, is there anything else that you'd like to just say before we finish up, just in case we haven't asked you something that you just wanted to give the badminton community in terms of wisdom, even though you've already given so much? Um, I would say just kind of some of the things I've touched on, you know, whatever you do, give your best, you know, and there's a scripture that says, you know, whatever you do, give your best unto the Lord. But even if that isn't your faith, it's like whatever you do, give your best honor the people around you, honor yourself, honor your family. And it's, it's something that you can't put a number on. You know, when you do good or when you do right, you can't quantify it. You can't measure it. It's just something that's just there, you know? And so whenever you're doing your training, you're eating, you're interacting with people, communicating, you know, be there and give your best. And who knows where that will take you. But whatever it is, you'll be better for it. And so, yeah. I like that, how you've adapted it to not just badminton, not just training, right? But if you're with your family, give your best. If you're with your friends, give your best. If you're studying, give your best. And and that's all we can do. And I guess from a religious or a spiritual perspective, that's what God wants you to do or your creator wants you to do is to give everything you've got in your life because you've only got one of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, not cats. Awesome. So Sam, if someone wants to see how you're doing, so with your training or any kind of international tournaments you're doing, how can they follow you or potentially get in contact with you? Um, so my Instagram is Sammy Rick, S-A-M-M-I-R-I-C-K. 
And, you know, if you want to have a chat about maybe certain things, you can always DM me and maybe we can um, just have a chat about certain things, you know, look at things deeper and, you know, flesh things out. So, yeah. We'll leave Sam's Instagram handle in the podcast description just so that you can find that with ease. So from Henry and myself and the whole Babinter community in the world, Sam, we just want to say thanks for coming on to this episode. It's been so much fun. We've learned heaps. We've got so much wisdom and just, yeah, it's been awesome just to get to know you because I feel like I know you so much better just from our chat from the past hour. And you as well, you as well. It was great to speak with you guys and to, you know, see what you're doing and driving forward. It's really great. Badminton needs it. And you guys have taken up the mantle to kind of push things forward. So it's just world class. So thank you. Thanks, Sam. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) So from Henry and I at the Badminton Podcast, thanks for tuning in to this episode. If you've enjoyed it or found it useful, be sure to share it with your family, friends, teammates, and someone outside your badminton circle too. Because with your help, we can show the world how incredible badminton is. To keep up to date with new episodes and who we're interviewing next, make sure you connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at The Badminton Podcast and on Twitter at The Badminton Pod. Feel free to contact us and ask any questions, give us feedback or request topics for future episodes. We love hearing from you. And remember to check out and shop for your simple and minimalist badminton gear at volantwear.com. Catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.